0: Welcome back to the Oklahoma Municipal League Podcast. I'm Mike Fina, the Executive Director of OML, and we're happy to have you guys back with us. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that has been very hot in municipal government for the past few years, uh, and that's medicinal marijuana. Oklahoma, historically, was always known for having the strictest marijuana laws in the United States. We had a history that dates back to the early 1930s when it comes to to marijuana, when the state outlawed all forms of marijuana. The prohibition came as part of a nationwide trend to restrict cannabis. And by 1983, Oklahoma had introduced a program to rid this state entirely of marijuana. But then you fast forward to 2018 and the sentiment of Oklahomans changed dramatically when it comes to marijuana. When we passed state question 788, The vote passed by 58 percent, and after its passage, officials thought that about 80,000 patients or 2 percent of the state's estimated population would probably register for in the first year uh, for legal medical marijuana. Since its passage, the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority, the state agency that was actually set up to regulate the industry, has already registered more than 3.5 percent of the population as patients. And there's really little sign of application slowing. The participation rate puts Oklahoma near number one among all states that have some form of medical cannabis legislation. So although that 788 was passed by a wide margin the provisions of that bill were not clearly written and it left some in Oklahoma wondering how to regulate this new industry. Luckily 788 was a statutory change and not a constitutional change uh, in in our state so it was possible to improve the law. That was critical to municipal government because there were so many areas that were undefined. Our guest today was responsible for crafting much of the current language that governs the municipal parts of the medicinal marijuana law. That's uh, OML Deputy General Counsel Daniel McClure. Uh, Daniel, welcome to the podcast today.
1: Hey, thanks, Mike. Happy to be here.
0: So we've had an interesting couple of years when it comes to medical marijuana. Uh, I think every since since its passage, we've had some major legislation that we've had to go to the legislature and actually convince them why this was important for municipal government and for the state. Uh, you were really behind. I, I always say that you, you wrote about 99 percent of that language that that's in current statute. So can you recap for us a little bit in that first year what what we did uh, to change the law?
1: yeah absolutely it was, a, it was a fun year that year um, the main bill that we worked with was Senate bill 1030 uh, having followed it through the legislative process it was really fun it was introduced as you know kind of moderate length bill and then I think it grew to 50 or 60 70 pages and it shrunk to six pages and uh, it was a lot of fun with stuff uh, getting in and being taken out uh, the main things that we were successful in getting in um, at its final passage and approval uh, subsequently by the governor uh, I think the, the big t- takeaway for us was the certificate of compliance process um, with the you know, influx of new business owners in the medical marijuana industry. We had a lot of people who who had done business uh, regularly in different fields, but we also had a number of people who hadn't really been engaging in a formal business, and so it was really important that we implement a process to make sure that the business owners are, are off to the races uh, in the right way and, and have a good chance at being successful, and so that was the idea behind the Certificate of Compliance process uh, in Senate Bill 1030, and so the idea was that we would make sure that the city governments are communicating with the business owners and with the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority to make sure that we don't get the ball rolling too far down uh, down the line and have to come back and start over. So uh, the way that it works is we would have um, you know, an application that the applicant would bring to the city governments, and they would just have some simple check boxes for the city government to fill out to say, you know, yes, this property is in the right zone, it has um, the the right licensing filled out, and we have all the all the documentation that we need. Um, that way, we're on on a, on a good track from the get go, and that's what we're doing now. And uh, for the most part, we're seeing some success in that area. We, we might make some minor changes uh, next year, but. Uh, that part's working good um, another big change that we had in 1030 was just to make sure that um, everyone looks at the medical marijuana business like a, a standard business that we're following of course we have different regulatory issues to be thinking through and um, and that's important and so from our perspective we wanted to look at this issue more about process than outcome and so we wanted to make sure that we apply our standard planning and zoning progress I'm sorry our standard planning and zoning process to the medical marijuana industry we've we spelled that out very clearly in Senate Bill 1030 uh, additionally uh, I guess two other b- big issues that were in that bill uh, one was the site and release program um, we, we made it where if someone doesn't have their license they would be site and released to get a ticket and they could go to that municipal court if they had their license they could just bring it to court just like you would if you were driving without your driver's license if you had forgotten it uh, to kind of mirror up those uh, those processes in, in municipal courts and that seems to be working good from all reports that we're, we're hearing uh, and I, th- I say the last thing that we had in there was we wanted to make sure that we have a cooperative spirit between state regulators and municipal governments and so we have some language in there that talks about that we're going to work together and, and share information to make sure we have a good regulatory environment and so that's probably probably the four big takeaways in the bill Mike
0: you know, you and I did a lot of traveling that first year right after it passed and, and before it, it actually went into effect. Um, it seems like ages ago that we actually made those trips, but we traveled all over the state. And one of the things that I found interesting uh, as as we made those trips and met with groups that at first we were just meeting with municipal groups. And then we actually started having a lot of the industry people that were coming to the municipal meetings and i think the one thing that we we took away with it i'd i'd like to get your take on it but that 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 first year there was just widespread confusion on what this actually meant for the state and and making it and why it was critical that we actually passed legislation
1: yeah, absolutely I think it was really neat to see the interaction between the industry folks and our and our municipal uh, municipal professionals um, I look back at the numbers not, not too long ago and we met with over 450 municipal professionals that first year going over the, these processes which I think is really important um, one of my favorite ones was when we met with uh, officials down in POTO they held a meeting for us at the Chamber of Commerce building and we opened it up to uh, industry folks and city officials and it was really great because uh, turned, it turned it went from less of a training to more of a conversation back and forth between industry and the governing body and officials and how we could get good government uh, from all the cities that were present and I thought it was really helpful and that kind of open dialogue I think was really productive in getting the language into the bill.
0: Yeah, there's one story I want to I want to share with the people that listen that I, I know you were part of this, but I I thought it was funny. Sometimes you make a mistake and it and it actually works out in your favor. And the very first one of those meetings that we scheduled, it was at the request of Representative Ficketer, because there was so many people asking questions in his area, and so we had sent out a normal invite to just his his legislative district. At least we thought we did, and we accidentally sent it out statewide. And that very first meeting in his district, we ended up getting—I oh, can't remember—it was over 100 people that had signed up for that for that meeting, and they were just coming from everywhere. And I think that at that point, when we realized that we really got to take this show on the road and get it get out there and talk to people, and every one of those meetings, I, I, I felt got better, and there was more information as we we really did get across the state. So. Yeah, that
1: was really fun. I remember because it was obviously an oopsie, and then we saw the all the registrations going and going, and going. We had to close it and, and tell people we we're going to make additional ones. And that was when I knew that you made a, you actually made a lot of work for me. So I appreciate that <laughs> from you. That oopsie made a lot of work.
0: Yeah, it did. It, it did on everybody. But uh, I, but in the end, uh, I think the, by the time we finished all those meetings, it was really good for the state and not just the municipalities. But I I, I don't even know how many folks from the industry showed up, but they really started. I, I, there was one meeting where we had as many industry people as municipal people there.
1: Yeah, we really did. We did. Elk City was like that too. We had about half and half and I thought it was really productive. So it ended up working out really well, I think. I agree.
0: Yeah. And and working with the industry, I know the first year it felt like it was it was somewhat stressful uh, just because everybody was trying to figure it out. But in the second year, uh, you know, then we started having conversations like we, we just had one this week with Ron Durbin, who was an attorney that at one point was suing cities left and right. And and now he is working with us and trying to find solutions to this. And I feel like the industry has at least made the effort to meet us halfway Not that we don't have our problems, but they are working with us. Would you you agree with that? I
1: definitely agree with that. The meeting we had this week uh, I thought was incredibly helpful. You know, we had pages of things that we agreed on and that we agreed we could make some progress on together. It's always healthy and productive when your list of agreed upon things to work on is a bigger list than your things that we need to disagree on or work on. And so that was a really good takeaway. I think that we're going to be able to get a lot of those common sense reforms put in this year, and it's going to be good for everyone.
0: Well, that's a good segue because now we're, we're heading into our second, no, technically our, our third legislative session. Where we will have some kind of uh, medicinal marijuana uh, revision type bill. So there's a few things that I know that, that we need to focus on. But let's talk about one that we're not quite sure that, we, that we're going to require legislation or if we just need to clean up. But one of the things that's been an issue for municipal government is the smoking in public. So talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, initially uh, in that first year in Senate Bill 1030, we had some language about uh, public smoking. Um, we wanted to make sure that the public smoking of tobacco statutes incorporated marijuana smoking. Um, initially, that was not the case, and we had statutes that empowered municipal governments to make smoke-free tobacco places, uh, and that that made sense. But uh, we just, I think, it kind of slipped through the cracks that marijuana is it is obviously different. We need to have a different statute for that. And so uh, in two thousand nineteen though, uh, in House Bill twenty six oh one, that language was in- incorporated to add marijuana to the smoking language. And so now um I think that's just some education that we're going to be working on in the, in the coming weeks and months to make sure that municipal governments, um, they're used to having signs up. That's the rule right now for public smoking of tobacco. You have to have a sign up that says, you know, this is a tobacco free free space, whether it's a park or a, a building area, breezeway, things of that nature. So we just have to go back through and update those signs to say tobacco and marijuana smoke free location and as, as well as vaping. Additionally, um, we've, we've had it on the books for a long time that if we run into someone uh, who is in one of our smoke-free places, our first step is to um, to talk to them and give them a warning prior to issuing a citation. Uh, and that language is the same for marijuana and marijuana vaping as well, that we have to give that warning. So I think that's just going to be some, some work on our part as far as education and getting that information out there to make sure we're getting those signs updated.
0: That's that's good. That that one's a critical one. I mean, it it reaches even further than just I mean, this was an effort to to curb public smoking a long time ago, and and this just adds a new wrinkle to it for municipalities. And as every, any municipal person listening to this knows that we were preempted on our ability to to really govern that. So so there's probably a little extra there that that uh, is is still a sore spot for municipal government. Now, uh, I know personally, and I know you've dealt with it too. There's been another issue over the over the past year that's been a little more prevalent than than some of the issues in the past, and that's that we will have uh, dispensary owners that do are are licensed to to sell their medicine in the state, but then sometimes they end up selling it to people that actually don't have their card and and that truly is just a criminal activity at that point but the the current language doesn't really support us in being able to treat that person like they were a drug dealer so what what kind of changes do you expect in that area with the bill this year
1: yeah absolutely um you know having having worked with um, that question on, on, on a number of occasions, uh, the current statute allows for administrative fines for um, uh, the unlawful diversion or sale of marijuana products. And so I think there's just some some disagreement or some you know, concerns from different attorneys. Um, a number of attorneys are are seeing that administrative process as the sole remedy, um, while others think that, well, that might be in addition to the criminal infractions. And so I think, from our conversations, we think it'd be good to get everyone on the same page and just maybe have some language uh, introduced in the statute that says these administrative fines for unlawful sales—that's that's on the administrative side. Law enforcement still gets to do their job uh, in keeping down illegal drug sales on the street, and that's a really big thing that we see regularly. Um, we have, you know, we have some bad actors out there—not a lot of them, but those ones that are doing uh, the, that type of conduct hurts communities. We've been seeing um, medical marijuana get sold um, to, you know, minors without the consent of their parents, without a card, and so we just want to make sure that um, those sales are going to where they're supposed to be, with, that is, licensed users and licensed patients, um, and not going to to minors or people who don't have uh, the proper credentials. So we'll be working on that this year.
0: Yes, that's an interest. That is an interesting topic, and I, it goes back also to the the meeting we had earlier this week, where you and I had this discussion before that, and we thought that might be a, a point of contention. But I was really pleased with with Mr. Durbin, um, that his willingness to to work with us in that area. In fact, he I, I thought he made a pretty strong statement uh, that he thought it was important for the industry to be. Uh, that 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 kind of behavior was just bad for the industry in general. I was really happy with with his comments to us.
1: Yeah, that was my takeaway also. I was I was you know really optimistic about that. And my impression of of, of his statements was that you know we've, we're implementing a regulatory framework in Oklahoma, and we want that framework to work. And it doesn't work if we're not following the rules. And he seemed to be supportive of that. And that was really optimistic. And I'm looking forward to partnering with him on on those ideas moving forward.
0: So you mentioned in the opening and, and, and when something that we passed in, in the very first bill was the um, certificate of compliance. That was an interesting thing. And you I, I give you credit for coming up with that that idea originally when we put it in the bill. And I do think that that's been working, but it, it also has some areas that that we need to shore up in, in this bill as well. So you want to talk about that just a little bit? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So. The way that it's implemented now is municipal governments and counties have to comply with uh, signing a certificate of compliance the original idea behind that was we have some larger counties you know take Tulsa County as an example they have a department that that works with these types of issues with regulations and zoning and planning topics now we also have some incredibly rural communities that that don't have any of those offices or any of those staffs and so I think that's an issue that we're running into is we have um you know rural you know areas where an applicant goes in and they need their form signed but that county's not doing that they're not operating those functions of government and so we just need to clear up that you know if if we're going to have a certificate of compliance process it only applies in places where we we do planning and zoning and I think that it makes sense to have that change if we have We have someone go get a form and the form says nothing on it but a checkbox and a signature that's just making more red tape and that's not good government so we want to clear that up but we think it's we think it is good government when you know we have an office that does planning and zoning and it gives us a chance to have a conversation on the front end with an applicant and so that that's a good process so we want to ensure we're protecting that that good process but um, eliminating red tape when possible Um, that's kind of the main intention there the other Thing we're trying to figure out how to, to clear up on the certificate of compliance process is we have a number of uh, licensed applicants who made it through the process before the certificate of compliance were implemented by state law, and those locations have never been uh, haven't been looked at by fire marshals or building inspectors for safety things of that nature, and um, a lot of you know your high end industrial. Um, uses are are pulling a lot of electricity they have a lot of product in one place and so we got to make sure that just from a public safety standpoint that we're getting those fire inspections and things of that nature so we want to make sure that we have that process built in for the people who uh, who didn't get that form filled out or were accidentally granted a license from the department prior to that, that implementation um, that's
0: really but important. but that was the that was the plan all along, though. That that's nothing new. We we knew that there was going to be a, a substantial number of those businesses, but it was all the timing in when 788 passed and when they actually implemented the rules through the through the OMMA, correct?
1: Yeah, it was. That was our perspective. And and we kind of we knew that was coming. And so when we did our trainings with our municipal officials across the state, we told them that, hey, this process is going to come in. Um, I know just through conversations in the grapevine that there have been conversations about grandfathering in those uses and and, and that's the concern that we're looking to, to address. Is we, we you're right. We knew that this was going to happen. We're going to have to get these people uh, inspected on year two and year three, and that's great. And our folks will go out there and, and get them up to date. But if we if we just have a change of the law that doesn't require them to go through that process at this hour, that's it's probably not a good idea for the safety of the community.
0: And I th- I think there was some confusion on the the industry side that that we wanted to to have them every year from now until eternity have to file for the, for the COC. And that was really never the intent either. It's just the way we wrote it was that so we could catch those businesses in year two.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so I think we're going to go in and and hopefully clear that up this year. Um, When we're talking about other licensed uses in our communities, you know, if it's, if it's just a bakery, for example, or or if it's a, a sporting goods store, right. Those locations get inspected and then we don't have to do, a zoning inspection every year, right? Nothing's changed. They're not having a change of use or occupancy, so they're good. But whenever that sporting goods store is going to change to a laundromat, for example, that's a change of use, so we would go in and inspect that. And so our intention at this point is to make the marijuana certifi- certification of compliance just like we do those other inspections. So a change of use or occupancy would trigger an additional inspection. Other than that, once you've successfully completed the process, then you don't need to do it again until until one of those triggering mechanisms occurs.
0: You you brought up a good point there that, that's probably on a, a different topic, but you know we're we can learn too in municipal government. I think one of the things that we learned over the last couple of years is that there's a lot of different ways that folks are are processing uh, the, the the marijuana, and that. Not all those those are created equal, and some of them might have a have a larger impact on municipalities as far as the the uh, the style of of and I guess the the potential harm or liability the way they process, it. and then others have very little liability or, or potential of harm to uh, to municipalities or the citizens, and and I think we're trying to adjust in how we look at those things. And, and we're probably learning from the industry as much as they're learning from us.
1: No, absolutely. We have some pictures that we've been using uh, as we go around and visit with the different municipal officials. And we have one fish, one picture of an uh, operation where they're air drying the, the marijuana product, and then we have another picture where they have like a large scale uh, commercial drying unit. Well, totally different worlds, right? And so when we write an ordinance, we talk about drying marijuana product. That's different and that's different inspections and one's electrical and one's not and and I know that's a no-brainer but when we're writing the ordinances we have to just go into that level of specificity which when on on the front end we had to do it pretty quickly and we didn't incorporate a lot of those uh, those items and so yeah it's definitely an opportunity for us to go back through and do some common sense um, applications to what the uh, business person is doing and how that would impact our regulatory structure so all in an effort of good government though
0: I think all in all, and I'd like to I'd like to get your take. I'll give you a bit of my take on it. I, I, I think after a couple of years of this being in place, uh, we've, we have seen some increased uh, sales tax revenue from it. So that's been positive. And I think all in all, the problems that we've seen from the industry and the issues uh, have been less and less in year two. Uh, I, I think the industry, for the most part, is trying to be very good partners with the communities that they're opening their businesses in. And. I know that there was probably an initial pushback by some municipalities, but but I feel like we're seeing less and less of that. And now it's becoming a little more mainstream, a little more welcome in, in our communities. Uh, what, what, what's your feeling in, in, with that?
1: I think, I think that's a fair point. You know, last year I said we talked to at least 450 different municipal officials on this topic, and almost unanimously they were just trying to find a good framework for government. Um, we, I didn't have people who are trying to say, how can we close dispensaries? How can we never see them in our communities? That's really never been a part of the conversation that we've been having. It's just, how can we have good government? Um, there's not a lot of uh, industry that occurs so rapidly and quickly that government has to change on a time. I mean, if you think through, there's not a lot of industries that have just come in out of nowhere and have to have a regulatory environment in a very short period of time and so I'm really proud of our municipal officials for for going through that process it's been challenging and a lot of us haven't dealt with it before so it's been very unique but it's really unprecedented Um, I can't imagine you know other times we've seen that you you think back to the end of the prohibition days I bet our officials had something very similar going on then but absent that there's not a really a number of good examples that we've gone through a wholesale change in a short period of time
0: I agree, and I think that's probably a, a good place for us to to wrap up today's conversation. I I know that this is going to be an evolving issue and evolving industry in Oklahoma. And from a municipal perspective, I I feel like we've been flexible and we'll continue to be flexible in how we address it. And I think we're doing our part to try and make this a strong industry for Oklahoma. So, Daniel, I want to thank you for – I know you and I have these conversations privately all the time. I want to appreciate you you doing this publicly for our listeners on the podcast today. So, thank you for doing that. Absolutely. And then we'll – We will be back with you with more and interesting topics in the future. Thanks for joining us on the Oklahoma Municipal League podcast.